Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. It is the second day of the first full week of February. How are we doing, Rhino? Oh, not too bad. Might be experiencing a shower or two. What's that's what it looks scattered like. scattered across the Magnolia State today. It was a delightful day yesterday. When we got off the air, it, it felt uh, a bit spring-like outside. Should be more of the same today. Really? Okay. And maybe even a little warmer tomorrow, but that warmth doesn't come with guaranteed sunshine tomorrow. Yeah. Looks Shoot. like a pretty good chance of rain for a big chunk of the Magnolia State tomorrow. What else is new? Ha! <laughs> We had enough last week. Uh, this year, certainly we're ahead of our norms at this point. I mean, we've only had a a month and a week, but good Probably a grief. little bit, yeah. Seems like because the rains we've had have been torrential, as they say. On the program today at 11.05, Robert Johnson, he is, of course, a member of the Mississippi House of Representatives, represents Adams, Franklin, and Jefferson County, serves as the House Minority Leader. Representative Johnson will provide an update from the legislature and give us uh, some insight into what's happening down there at the Capitol. And then at 12.05, Mississippi State Senator Chris McDaniel represents District 42, that incorporates Forrest and Jones counties. He, of course, announced just uh, a week and a day ago, as of today, that he is a candidate as a Republican for lieutenant governor of the great state of Mississippi. So looking forward to those interviews today on the program. The C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. If you'd like to join the conversation, looking at the weather out uh, toward the end of the week there, Rhino, Thursday looks like a delightful day, 67, and a big old sun showing there. Friday, 56, Saturday, 50, partly cloudy. That's not bad. It's February. And then what happened Sunday? Super Bowl. The big one. That's right, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Did I Coverage read? will start about 3 a.m. on Saturday. <laughs> 3 a.m. We've got to have the pre-pre-pre-pre-pre-game show. 
They milk it, don't they? Did I read where it's like seven million bucks for? Is it a minute or half a minute for an ad? Uh, it's usually sold in chunks of thirty seconds, but I actually haven't seen any of the data on the the sales this year. I thought I caught an article that said it's seven million. I just can't recall if that's for. No, a that minute. doesn't surprise me. Yeah, absolutely. So a Mississippi company may is uh, makes the paint, I should say, that will be used on the field at this year's Super Bowl. How about that? That's pretty cool. Out of Leland. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Small town of Leland. Eco-friendly paint. World-class athletic surfaces, the name of the company. That's pretty neat. So, oh, yeah, they work with all kinds of people. All over the world. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, really, I think, uh, a great testament to the innovative spirit here in the state of Mississippi and bringing products to market that are in demand, makes sense, being used, showcased across the planet. Congratulations. Awesome work there. And read a couple of accounts from customers of the company, all extremely pleased with the product and level of service. In fact, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles are both customers of the company. So that's pretty cool. We look forward to that. It's also the most rowdy PGA event of the year. We've discussed that before. That's coming up at Phoenix, the Waste Management Phoenix Open out at the TPC course in Scottsdale. That'll be fun. And don't pitchers and catchers report pretty soon for spring training? Yeah, they do. Which, speaking of a Mississippi connection to Major League Athletics, you do realize that the pill, the the rubber core yeah. of every baseball for Major League Baseball, is manufactured right here in the Magnolia State. I didn't know that. Huh. Well, all kinds of great stuff there we're talking about this morning vis-a-vis the Magnolia State and how it contributes to society. That's great stuff. So proud to hear that. Did you see this report where Senator Steve Daines, a Republican in Montana, many would consider him a rather moderate Republican, locked out of his Twitter account after he changed his profile photo to an image of a hunting trip with his spouse, with his wife. Wait, now, what happened to Elon Musk there? I thought that kind of stuff wasn't going to happen. Well, I mean, if he's got a verified account and he changed his picture too many times or to something that wasn't representative of him, then he's breaking the terms of service. But I'm unsure how a hunting trip picture would break the terms of service. I mean, I'm looking at it. That's, it's a way to prevent somebody from getting verified and then changing their picture to, say, Donald Trump or Biden I see. and pretending to be them. And then you got that little verified check, so it's like, well, I guess they're verified. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the photo, and it is one of him and his wife, and I don't know what the animal is. It looks like an antelope, perhaps. It's... uh. I mean, it's a deer-like looking creature with stripes on the nose and a pretty big, pretty thick horn, but they're symmetrical. 
Very symmetrical, like two main horns. I'll send it to you. Hmm. Steve Daines. I, I mean, I don't know what the problem is here. He was told that he must delete the profile photo in order to unlock his account. How about that? That's interesting. Uh, Steve Daines, not too happy about it, I believe. I'm going to send this to you. Give me a second here. See what you think this animule is. Uh, let's see. Yep. There you go. Take a look. Oh, it's a pronghorn. Oh, oh I, that was right on the tip of my tongue. Next, cho- next choice. <laughs> what is that? It's an antelope, a, a fast-moving deer-like creature. Oh, okay. Well, that wasn't that far off. Jeez. I believe there was a um, a winner, was there not, in the big Powerball drawing last night. See that? Oh, yeah. One ticket sold. Uh, Washington State seems to come to mind as the location of the winner. That's a big old deal. Seven hundred fifty million was it? Close to that. Yeah, it was seven hundred and forty some odd million was the last total I saw. Okay. Yeah, the winning ticket uh, sold in Washington State seven fifty four point six million. I could probably get by on that. I'm thinking the identity still unknown. However, the winner has not come forth. You think the winner's huddling up with? Uh, lawyers, accountants, etc., to make sure that they handle this appropriately or in a way that you would think draws minimum attention. That would be my goal for sure. In the meantime, this balloon that goes down out in South Carolina, the one that just <laughs> had its way traveling across the country. It was finally shot down by the U.S. military off the coast of South Carolina. Divers are working to recover the debris and have advised folks, by the way, if you see anything washing up on the shore, it looks like it might be either part of the balloon or payload on board. Do not touch it, but contact somebody. I can't remember who they said to contact Is this just crazy, this thing just waltzes right across the country? Couldn't they have taken this thing down in Montana when it was, I believe, first sighted by human, the human eye, inhabitants of Montana? Because the sky is so clear out there, big sky, nothing to obstruct it, very little haze. So even though it's at 60,000 feet, somebody recognized it. But there's like one person for every eight miles or something in Montana, but Joe says, no, we got to be careful. It might hurt somebody or property in Montana. Oh, gosh. We're coming right back with more here on Middays. We are in the Element Well Studios just getting started. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Oaks bumping us into this segment on middays. We are in the Element Wealth Studios. So a little bit more on this balloon. Balloon gate. Might as well call it that, huh? Rhino, when you want answers, the one thing you can always rely on is clarity and transparency from Karine Jean-Pierre. <laughs> what are you shaking your head for? <laughs> there is nothing clear about any answer she gives. Well, as you can imagine, the press had questions about this Chinese spy balloon. She's but, so dense, she makes lead look floatable. <laughs> but she was all over it. We got some sound here. How is it possible that this administration discovered um, at least three previous balloons that flew over the U.S. under the previous administration, but Trump officials didn't know it was happening? Yeah, so look, I think that, uh, and we have talked about this before, about how um, uh, the, when it um, when the PRC government surveillance balloons trans, uh, trans, trans, transited uh, the continental U.S. briefly at least three times, as you just mentioned during the president's uh, prior administration, and once that we know of the beginning of this administration's, uh, but never for this duration of time, as we know, uh, this information was discovered prior to the administration administration uh, left, uh, but uh, the intelligence community, as I said, is prepared to give uh, give uh, briefings to key officials, uh, but this is something, uh, this is something, sorry, post, but this is something that we, we they did not, they were not aware of, as, as we've just laid out. Man, I feel informed now. How about you? What's she talking Clear about? Clear as mud. <laughs> what is she talking about? How could they send her out there so ill-prepared? Because they're having to him haul because their knee-jerk reaction of orange man bad make him <laughs> look bad is now making the intelligence officials and the leaders of the military look treasonous. Mm-hmm. Because if it did happen under Trump and they didn't tell President Trump, that would be treason. He's the commander-in-chief. Plausible theory. Absolutely. I... I am starting to get concerned that they truly, somehow, all of our systems, all of our intelligence agencies, all of our military, their entire agency complex, just missed this deal. I really do feel like that's what we'll learn, ultimately. I certainly hope that there is sufficient investigation and analysis to ascertain why didn't we know? Why didn't we know? I mean, do you think that they're testing us? Hey, look at this. We just put this balloon out there and just uh, traversed the nation coast to coast with impunity. Collected all sorts of data. Yesterday we shared the opinion from a sitting Air Force general that predicted war. War in 2025 with China. More and more reports are surfacing that show that that they have gained tremendous military strength over the last few years. And I saw reports from the business side of things that certain business operations in China 
have essentially been commandeered, overtaken by the CCP. Saw one owner of uh, a medicine, a pharmaceutical maker in China, based in China, that primarily services the Chinese consumer market and was ordered to divert. I don't know what the drugs are exactly, but was ordered to divert those to support the military and to retrofit some of their manufacturing processes and systems to produce drugs, I guess, that would be necessary for the military in the event of a conflict. So there's just more evidence of this. This Xi Jinping guy's nuts now. He may look rather docile when you see images of him, because you, you don't see him outside of his sort of official public-facing capacity, intentionally, of course, by the CCP. But I think this guy is sort of testing, sort of self-testing. How far can I go? It's more of a personal thing here, which is why I think Taiwan is on the table. It's a big thing, as you know, in that culture and to that party to show their people. That's how they sort of keep them oppressed and suppressed and on board, is to constantly try to make the case that, yeah, our system's just superior. Look what we're doing here. And you know they're promoting that right now. We flew this balloon all across the heads of those silly, incompetent Americans. Look at them. They're worried about pronouns and gender transition surgery and privilege walks. It's true. Are we going to wake up and realize that's not what the military's purpose is? That they should get back to the old blocking and tackling, as they say? Think they'll wake up? Doesn't feel like it. Think, what do you think Joe will say tonight in the State of the Union address regarding this? How could he not use that time as he's addressing the nation to discuss this? Or is he just going to point to the previous, my predecessor? He loves doing that. I think he got some splaining to do. Can you explain to me what that blue? baseball-looking hat is he's wearing the Scott, like the silhouette of a person playing bagpipes. What, what's that all about? Like the l- pictures of him in the last few days feature that. I don't know what that is. It, I'm sure it's something. That's some sort of symbol, emblem. But he got some explaining to do, doesn't he? Certainly with respect to the border, this balloon crime he's not going to do that he's going to he's going to call for i'm predicting he's going to call for wealth taxes on billionaires all 450 of them in this country and he's going to call for a quadrupling of the stock buyback tax mark my word he's going to call for that it's got no chance of course thankfully But they see that as a victory. I'm going to go get those corporations, make them pay higher buyback tax. He's mad because Exxon made money last year, and they saw fit, a record profit, and they saw fit to go invest some of their excess cash in buying back their stock, thus rewarding their shareholders. What's wrong with that? 
Stay out of the way. Let them run the company. If people don't like that, if investors don't respond positively, they won't invest. And, and, it's, and it's not, they don't have any ideas for that. Oh, yeah, if we just had that money, we could create more programs. They don't care. They create the programs without the money now. Expand government. Dramatically increase spending. It's just punitive. We punished them, folks. We took those oil companies down. They're evil. Pay no attention to the fact that you've got to have that stuff to live. And now the Washington Post comes out and says, yeah, the stunning economic successes of this administration really reset the 2024 presidential election. Reset is the word they use. Not going to have a recession. If so, it'll be a, a very mild one. And once again, it's all, it all points to jobs. And we're still not up to where we were pre-pandemic with respect to number of folks working in this country. We've created a culture where work is bad. Work is no longer considered virtuous as it once was. Sitting at home, living off the government, seems to have replaced that element of our culture. It's sad, honestly. It's a big problem. And some of that's even being taught in our higher ed institutions. What happened to the days where you hunkered down, you worked your butt off to make the grades so you could get a job and be employable? And then you started at the bottom, and you worked your way up. You earned your way up. Not anymore. It's not how it works. That's not fair. What is it, that delayed gratification? That's racist. That's an element of European white society. we got a whole lot of stuff to talk about here in the state of Mississippi as well. Some bills that uh, are still out there. Well, plenty of them are still out there. We'll talk about that and what we can expect uh, in the upcoming races in the state of Mississippi. Middays is coming right back. Podcasts. Adoring fans. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone the outfield that's a good video too back when videos were good they actually played music on the videos <laughs> and the production somewhat was related to the video somewhat back before the video had to be a full feature length scale production with like no plot discernible plot ad that's true the last three or four new videos I've seen seemed like just really long commercials. Yeah, I agree with you. Yesterday, was it yesterday or maybe day before, 
there was a, a, almost a big old accident at the airport in, uh, I believe it was in Austin, Texas. Austin International Airport. A FedEx 767, that's a big old plane, was coming in while a Southwest Airlines Boeing 737 was departing on the same runway. And they almost collided right there on the runway. The, uh, the FedEx pilot told the Southwest crew to abort their takeoff. And the FedEx plane climbed as their crew aborted their landing to help avoid a collision. And there was 128 people on board the Southwest flight. Of course, it's behind them. They can't see it. Controllers cleared the Southwest flight for takeoff and the FedEx plane to land. And that, that nearly resulted in, a, as they say in the pilot lingo, could have ruined your day, for sure. As I recall, it was reported that the FedEx plane came within 150 feet as it flew over the Southwest 737 on the runway. And had FedEx not communicated directly with the Southwest flight to say, don't take off, I believe it was imminent that they were going to collide mid-air there, just above the runway. Wow. Now, they do have technology on board, both do, that alerts them to this sort of stuff, and it could be that maybe that's what the FedEx folks, uh, the pilots, were using to divert. And yeah, avoid. I'm watching the uh, the animation from the, the Flat Radar 24, Yeah, the tracker. Yeah. And it looks like the uh, taxiing plane was starting takeoff Southwest. because you look at the data, it's at zero feet. And then right as the FedEx plane gets over it, it starts climbing 15, 16, 17 feet while the FedEx is climbing precipitously faster, getting up to like 400 feet when it's right over top of it. Yeah, trying to avoid Yeah, seeing what's about to happen. Interesting. Oh, gosh. I saw a, um, speaking about the State of the Union coming up tonight, I saw a little sort of town hall early this morning, a little town hall, just individuals from, represent uh, just various walks of life and party affiliations. And there was an interesting comment from a, a Democrat, that uh, a black female Democrat, that was asked about her thoughts about the president's performance. And she said she wanted to hear more about how he was going to positively impact the black community. And this is what she pointed out. She wanted a better and more thorough accounting of all the federal tax money that goes to nonprofits for the purpose of making improvements in that community. And she said, it's not working. There are no measurable results. I think that's pretty clear. 
We just keep throwing money at these issues. She pointed it out. She scolded the president. I was shocked, pleasantly surprised, honestly. And there was somebody from um, one of the Carolinas real estate broker and, and just said that activity had dwindled down to virtually nil. There just weren't any transactions. Interest rates are causing problems. Wanted to know how we were going to get out of that conundrum. So I think folks are looking for answers to all these various issues that they're concerned about and don't feel like that they're getting them. Polls show Americans aren't feeling the impact of the Biden agenda, but he's going to tell us tonight how great he is. I shall be tuned in, and I'll update everybody tomorrow. Uh, I am happy to report that yesterday I had my wellness exam. Everything's great. Thank God. Very blessed. Very grateful. But I I always get worried about my blood pressure, because I have borderline blood pressure. I get worried about that when I'm watching Joe. I kind of have to walk around and blow steam off, (laughs) get some darn socks to throw at the TV, maybe something like that. But I'll take one for the team, tune in, and report back tomorrow. Something else I wanted to address that came up yesterday, and it comes up frequently, and I know I've explained this numerous times, and I apologize for for being repetitive, and it, it has to do with Social Security, because finally, I'm glad it's getting some attention. Social Security and Medicare. Two programs a lot of people rely on, paid a lot of money into. They deserve their benefits, but the programs are in trouble, financial trouble. No secret. We've known it for a long time. The proverbial can continues to get kicked down the road. The popular misconception held by many, you've heard it, Rhino, was because of Congress, they stole the money. You've heard that before, Andy. Oh, yeah. Over and over again. It'd be fine if they hadn't stole the money. So let's explain that. And I apologize for duplicating the explanation, but it's important. And that is not a single penny has ever been stolen, that we have enjoyed surpluses in Social Security, and that's calculated as the amount working people are paying in, deducted from their wages, less the amount retired people and others who are eligible for benefits, the disabled and so forth, receive. So you take in a certain amount, you pay out a certain amount. The surplus, by law, for decades, is loaned to the U.S. Treasury. It is one of the ways that Social Security produces income to pay benefits, because the Treasury pays a, a interest on that debt. And in fact, Social Security, at about $2.8 billion, pardon me, trillion, got to be careful when you start talking about the debt, trillion, that, they happen to be the largest holder of U.S. debt. A lot of folks think it's China. You've heard that before. We we just borrowed from China. Actually, China, we only owe them only a trillion of the 31.4 outstanding. The single biggest The single biggest uh, lender to the U.S. is Social Security. But 
Every single dime gets repaid in accordance with the terms of that debt. It's bonds. It's structured as bonds. They're called S-bonds. The S stands for special. You can't buy them on the market. Only Social Security can issue them. By law. Every single dime's been repaid with interest. They get redeemed virtually daily. So that's simply not true. Does the Treasury borrow money? Yes. Do they pay it back? Yes. Every penny. What happens if they don't pay it back? The entire global economy would immediately collapse because that would be an indication to the world that the U.S. cannot satisfy its debts and that the full faith and credit of the United States no longer holds. So we need to address Social Security. It's a problem. But we need to have a discussion that's framed with the facts. That's not a fact. It's not factual that Congress and the Treasury borrowed money and never paid it back. Just raided the Social Security Trust Fund. That's what a lot of people believe. It's just simply not true. Does Social Security have a problem? Yeah, because it's a defined benefit plan. So does Mississippi PERS, the public employment retirement system. Not as dire a situation as Social Security, but virtually every public pension plan in this country is facing financial instability if they're not already there. And Mississippi PERS is no exception, and it's a function of the, the difficulties in operating a defined benefit plan. Just means you get benefits for life, no matter how much you paid in. They don't end when you've taken out, received, and benefits everything you paid in plus interest. Coming right back on Middays, Robert Johnson at 11.05. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Played guitar, Ziggy Stardust by the great David Bowie. He had spiked hair before it was a thing. <laughs> he looked like Ziggy Stardust, right? With that hair and those and outfits. wild makeup. You know, he was long considered, seriously, one of the best dressed celebrities. I mean, he was very fashion conscious, but it was back in the era where. His clothes like looked like triangles. Everything <laughs> looked triangular. Shoulders were like Joan Crawford. About two fashion feet. has only gotten worse since then. <laughs> Very true. I saw a video going around on social media of a, a runway with models wearing dresses, except the dresses were attached to them at odd <laughs> angles. I saw that, too. They're carrying their clothes. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Just walking down the runway and... They're standing upright, but the dress is at 45 degrees. That was silly. They are not. That's all high fashion is, is rich people being <laughs> silly around other rich people trying to out-silly each other. 
What? How does anybody take any of that crap seriously? What I enjoyed, you probably saw, is the, the, the live video showing them coming down the L-shaped runway there. I think it's T-shaped. But the, but the crowd... You know, those in attendance. And they're just oohing and on, and they got their phones out, and they're, on their, they're recording it like, this is incredible. It's people carrying dresses. <laughs> they're carrying the dresses like, but they're formed. I don't, I don't know if there's a mannequin inside or not. There's something that's keeping them formed. They're not just draped. <laughs> it's crazy. Jeez. On the ceasefire text line... Saw a cover band this weekend at Gulf Shores of Hall and Oates. They were pretty good. Wow, that's pretty cool. I, I don't know that I knew such existed. Montana governor said it might have hit a cow, an antelope, or a gopher. I think that may have been the senator from Montana, if I'm not mistaken. Mike and Gulfport reported that. It was one of those. They, they did say, talking about if they would shot down the, the uh, balloon while it was above Montana. The last two big winners from the Powerball in November still haven't claimed their winnings. I wonder why. How about that? And that was upwards of a billion, right? North of it? Yeah, that was the big one, wasn't it? Seems like it. Let's see here. wonder if they'll do some kind of satanic worship show at halftime at the Super Bowl, says Joe from Sumrall, referencing that which occurred at the Grammys. How bizarre was that? I don't know. Again, you guys... a groom full of rich people trying to out silly each other. Yeah, I mean, look at <laughs> that's true. The Grammys, in and of itself, but the music industry. Period. Since Elvis, it's been about the youth, the teenagers, and the young people pissing off their parents. Right. That's all it is. I, I know. 99 times out of 100, the music is not good. It's terrible. Beyonce set a record. It's just lashing out to piss off your parents. It's not any fun anymore. It used to be fun. I it's remember because watching. they've gotten to the point where it's ludicrous. Yeah, and it's just who can out-ludicrous, <laughs> out-loon the other, right? Not to be confused with the artist ludicrous. Ludicrous. <laughs> what is the status of the income tax bill? Is it dead? We're talking about in the state? Or the federal. Nothing's been. I would imagine the state. Yeah, uh, still out there. I don't think uh, it's been any action on that. Mo says you're going to take one for the team and watch Biden. Thanks. I'll be watching something, anything else. You got it, Mo's. I really like George Bush's plan to privatize Social Security. They could keep every dollar I've paid until now. I could switch to that moving forward. Yeah, the problem is, Robert, is that if we did that without the federal government literally writing a check for trillions, which we don't have, those receiving benefits would be cut off. Uh, it's the pay-as-you-go pay system, designed that way, 1935. But wait, we, we can just mint a platinum coin, right? <laughs> yeah, that's They're worth a trillion dollars a pop. <laughs> just make a few of them. Oh, yes. If you guys aren't familiar with that, you ought to Google it. There have been some that have suggested that's a way out of debt for the country. Ben from Madison, got to give Pence credit. We do need to have an honest discussion about Social Security. He did say that, did Mike Pence, a couple of days ago. Thomas and Greenwood, I think you might be confused here. 
You said, if a loan is taken with no intention or method or repayment, isn't that sort of like stealing with extra steps? I'm not sure what you missed on that, Thomas. Every single penny has been paid back, and it's law. It's an investment. So Security, they could either just leave their excess funds that they receive every year, which is uh, over and above what they pay out, in just a non-interest-bearing checking account. Most people are familiar with that. Or they could loan it and get interest and make money, and they do, in fact, use that to pay benefits. That's the way it works. So it's just a balance sheet transaction. It has nothing to do with the solvency of the program. He says, I'm speaking to the legislators who spend it on pet projects loosely called investing in America with no real actionable plan to p- repay the funds resulting in a shortage of available funds for recipients. Well, that's never happened, though, Thomas. Ne- that's not... You're confusing the Social Security Fund with the General Fund. we got to go in this hour. It's time for Super Talk News, Fox News. When we come back, Robert Johnson from the Mississippi House. Stay with us. And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Well Studios. We are looking for Representative Robert Johnson. We'll keep talking until we can make that happen. So Thomas wants to pass legislation that bars the government from borrowing from Social Security and only allows bonds to be issued to private individuals and companies. There's no real method of repayment when it is loaned to Congress. Huh? No, you got it just the opposite, Thomas. You got just the opposite. Because the government, there's, there's no interest whatsoever in Social Security loaning money to private individuals and organizations who are subject to default. Like it or not, the least risky borrower on the planet is the United States of America. So that's not going to happen, and that's not a good plan whatsoever. And you're conflating, I see your next question about Social Security and the CARES Act, you're, you're conflating the trust fund of Social Security with the general fund. We'll continue this discussion later, so go back and do some homework there. We're trying to get Robert Johnson. It, it's you're not following. The, the, the need to cover deficits from uh, quantitative easing, which is essentially what it is when it comes to producing money, is related to the general fund and not the trust fund. You're, you're just you're conflating all this, man. It's not, you're wrong. So this is not an issue as long as we balance the budget, which we're not even remotely close to doing. Okay, we've got Representative Robert Johnson uh, with us now. Thanks for joining us, Representative Johnson. Sure, sure. Glad to be here. Yes, sir. So thought uh, we'd get you on to give us an update from the legislature. 
Uh, you guys have been in session now for essentially a month. What do you yeah. think so far? Well, you know, uh, the, the caveat is this is an election year. So you don't, everything is smoke and mirrors. Everything looks good, may not be good. Everything looks like it passed, may not. So, you know, everybody's jockeying. And now that the, the qualifying deadline has passed, uh, you know, we, we're getting down to serious business. So uh, we are, you know, $3.9 billion to the good. So we have uh, enough money to fix some problems. And so uh, I think as we go when we get closer to the appropriations and ways and means deadline, where the money really makes a difference, we'll see more action. I got you. What are your thoughts about uh, one of these most controversial bills that would extend the Capital Complex Improvement District, the CCID, uh, all the way up to County Line Road, where Hines County and Madison County intersect north of Jackson, some, what, six miles or so north of the state capitol in the heart of Jackson. What do you think about that legislation? Well, I, uh, oh, this is our capital city. And the I, I've said for a number of years that the, the biggest strain on the infrastructure in the capital city is, uh, you know, uh, the state government. And I mean that we have more than 20,000 employees working downtown, all of whom don't live in Hines County. But all these big office buildings, the biggest ones, the most, downtown are all state-owned buildings that doesn't add anything to your ad valorem tax so it doesn't really give you a real tax base but it's a lot of people a lot of a lot of stress on your your water and your sewer systems that are already ancient as, as it is so i don't have a problem with the extension of it i just have a I, my concern is that we spend the resources on the things that need to be worked on uh and and that that liability has been reduced some because the federal government has sent but uh, it's sending over $700 million down here to work on the water system. And we could spend uh, some of that money in the Capital uh, Improvement District working on things that we don't get that money for already. So I don't have a problem with the, with the size of it. Uh, I just I would like to see us focus on infrastructure issues that need to be fixed in our capital city. Well, uh, given that the city is set to receive such a huge sum of money from the federal government, I mean, it seems to address the financial aspect of this. I, well, no, well, well, let me interrupt you just for a okay. second. Now, that only, that only deals with uh, with the water right. delivery of water system. We still have uh, sewage and drainage issues, and we have road and bridge issues. Right. And so uh, that, that's what I'm thinking about. So that, that's why I said at least part of the problem has been addressed with that those funds, and we can work on what we can do. But look, it just defines an area that the state's, Essentially, the concept originally was the state will be a, a partner with the city and mm-hmm. working on on this capital city infrastructure and, and their issues. And some of some of that also, which we've already started working on, includes uh, uh, crime protection, uh, extending extending a, a more extensive police force uh, that we call the capital police. Instead of giving the money to Jackson, we just increase the number of people we have working for the capital police, and their jurisdiction will be extended. And in and, and partnership with the city of Jackson uh, Police Department, right? Which, which uh, I would suggest, uh, Representative Johnson is probably the main driver of this effort is to address the crime situation in the capital city, and, and this seems to be a uh, an efficient way of doing that. I think the the question is, should the state be in the business? 
of essentially running that part, that such a big part of a city, of a municipality. Well, they're not running it. They simply have a have a uh, you know additional law enforcement. The state can control how much additional law enforcement. Nobody's suggesting you don't have to have capital police going all the way out to County Line Road. That they could say we're going to concentrate our efforts around the capital in partnership with the city of Jackson. Your police force goes further out, but we'll take care of this area closer to the capital where state offices and state uh, legislators, the governor, and all these people are. And you, that gives you some relief to take your officers further out. But right wh- where we do business, where we invite guests in from out of state and from all over the world to come and do business with the state of Mississippi, we're going to help you make that more secure. And I, I, and the other thing it does, too, is that if you if the state partners with the city and work on the infrastructure net, and that, that those things, then you make it a more inviting place for uh, more businesses. We won't lose as many I say we, the, the city won't lose as many anchor stores. You may have more businesses wanting to locate in the city of Jackson. But if I were a business, I wouldn't want to locate in an area where I don't know if I'm going to have water uh, today or tomorrow. So all those things in here to the benefit of, of creating a more welcoming environment in a place where the seat of government for the state of Mississippi resides. Right. I guess I misunderstood Representative Bain. My, my understanding from interviewing him a couple of weeks ago is that one of the primary purposes of this legislation yeah, was to extend the, uh, uh, the patrol coverage, the police coverage of that area uh, to the Capitol Police and relieve the city of Jackson from that function where the city of Jackson could focus its resources on the other areas of the city, the boundaries of the city that aren't within that, uh, that Capitol uh, complex and well, well, district. Well, that, that, it's not written in the law. They have to okay. do that way. I, I was suggesting that that may be the, the, the what the Department of Public Safety decides they want to do. That may be what they tell the city of Jackson that they, that they that they want to do. What I, I was suggesting is that they while they have uh, while they share that that jurisdiction not limited to either one of those uh, uh, police forces, and if they could I have see. an agreement. That makes that 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 does what I suggest, but they could do it any way they want. To. I got you. What I suggest, in my opinion, makes more sense with the Capitol Police to concentrate on this downtown around the this, uh, state office buildings area, and let the city of Jackson handle the more uh, distant areas of the city. I see. Well, I thought they but were they don't have to do doing it that. that. I thought the Capitol Police were already patrolling that area. Are we talking are. about extending? They are. Okay. They are. They are. So they no- are, but they have come. They have come back. They have come this session. And ask for uh, an appropriation for more officers, more cars, more right. equipment. And okay. so they, they're going to be a more extensive force. And I'm just suggesting that that they you know figure out a way to work in cooperation with the city, whatever makes sense for the state capital. I see. Well, and then you you make the point that the money coming from the federal government, which is a huge chunk of money, I don't know how they came up with that figure. Uh, because it seems like before uh, the omnibus bill was passed, which included this six hundred million dollars. It was, and there's another hundred million through an, another program. It, it was there was really nothing definitive to indicate the need, the financial need to address just the water delivery system. I never saw any reports to that effect. I, I, I didn't see any reports either. But my understanding is that the EPA or whatever agency that that came down and did an, an evaluation, and also of uh, what I think is a partner in the lawsuit against the city of Jackson about the delivery of the water. Yeah. And Detroit citizens, I think that they had a group of experts to come down and make an evaluation and come up with that number. That number did not come from the city of Jackson. It okay. came from the, uh, okay. the 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 third party people who came down and said, "Look, let me 
Let me look at the and I think in partnership with the state de, uh, department we, of environmental quality. We, we got a we got a break right here. You join us late. Can you hang around and into the next segment? I got yeah. I, I got I got another ten minutes. Okay, we'll uh, right. we'll get it knocked out. Coming right back okay. with Representative Robert Johnson. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, on to the real part. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special shine a light on me. Let the midnight special. Back on Midday, Super Talk Mississippi, we've got Representative Robert Johnson uh, on the show with us. I, I'm respectful of your time, Representative. I know you got to uh, be gone in about five minutes or so, so appreciate you hanging on through the break. Uh, so, no problem. Yes, sir. Thank you for uh, your insight uh, on the CCID bill that, uh, as you know, has been met with a fair amount of resistance from the city, Cedar, city yeah. leadership, and there, there have been some protesters as well that have been around the Capitol uh, that that are showing their disapproval of the bill, but we shall see where it goes. I, I think on the one hand, folks see that that the city is, has got a significant crime problem, of course, an infrastructure problem as well, and you could argue the two are somewhat related. Uh, it's just, to me, it's a question of does it make sense for the state government to extend its authority and, and be... I think still to a greater extent involved in the operations of the city of Jackson, and well, yeah, I, I think you make I think you make a valid point. Uh, the you know it's it's, it's this idea of we're in, no we've been faced with what the last two or three years uh, one one time during the session we didn't we can only use restrooms on the first floor and yeah and you know people have uh, people have had cars broken into close to the Capitol that doesn't make any sense. You know, things that you don't want to have happen in your Capitol. So what do you do? You know, there you could just, you know, say, look, you all are short on funds, the tax base is left, we're downtown, we, you know, we really are not contributing, we could give you the money. Then some people say, look, they got their own problems, uh, you know, with the chaos, the way, you know, the, the administration is operating. Maybe that partnership ought to be one where we have more input, and so that that's how the capital complex idea evolved. Yeah. Uh, but I was I, what what I will uh, admit to you, and, and I, you know, I think one point you make is you know how do we how do we contribute? How do we do it? Is there a way short of getting that involved in the administration or the or running of the city? There is a way, and I think that that's why I, w- I would urge the leadership in this state take your time. You're not going to fix the problems in Jackson overnight, and you're not going to solve them all by just walking in here and, and, and taking over the city of Jackson. I mean, we don't have a stellar reputation in terms of running state agencies. We got $95 million we can't find. Right. The Department of Human Services has uh, mismanaged and left. That's a state agency. That's something we have some authority over. And we're not doing anything about that. So, it, it you know, you I think you make a good point. We, we need to be very careful about how involved I mean, how, do you want to take that responsibility and put it on the, the, the taxpayers of the whole state 
and not knowing what, you know, without really any proper planning. Right. So I think it's a great point. So, yeah. you know, hopefully we'll take more time. Yeah, uh, and it's, it should be, I think, thoroughly debated, and, and hopefully uh, there will be uh, some thought put into that process before the, the trigger is pulled there. Uh, yeah. While we got you, let's talk about health care in the state of Mississippi, which is uh, certainly reaching a, a critical point. We've got rural hospitals and, and, frankly, large urban hospitals as well that are struggling financially. What do you think we ought to do, and what are the chances of getting anything done? Uh, well, we need to do something. We need to, to take whatever funds. If there's a service that, that, that I think government needs to have at least some responsibility for, and that is providing uh, at least access to health care for its citizens. And so, uh, you know, just as a short background, so when people talk about uh, why why these hospitals are suffering, what what has happened before the concept of uh, uh, the Affordable Care Act or expanded Medicaid Act came, came out, the re- one of the big issues was the cost of health care. And one of the things driving high cost of health care in a state like the state of Mississippi is that we had a lot of people who didn't have health coverage, didn't have doctors. They get sick, they show up at an emergency room. And so hospitals had to take care of them, but that cost the hospital didn't have to absorb before the Affordable Care Act. Well, what happened was they, that was uncompensated care that the federal government would send that money. You just say, this is, what, this is how many people I treated who didn't have any coverage, and uh, you said, if I'm a public hospital, I need to treat them, the doctors have to treat them. This is what we are owed, and they would be reimbursed for that uncompensated care. But that was a high-dollar health care. It would be better if people went to a doctor and managed their care. Got, they, instead of having a, a diabetic event or having a heart attack, they would be taking medicine to prevent that. And so the idea of expanding Medicaid or, or providing coverage is that, look, that cost will go down, but if, if what, what you should do is get the proper health care, and you do that by have, being covered. That means that you can't go to the emergency room now to get health care. You've got to go to a doctor. But the problem is we don't, we, not take, we don't have that money anymore. We were taking it before. Now we're saying we don't want it. The uncompensated care, disproportionate payments, all that covered all the loss that hospitals and doctors had to absorb because the federal government said, hey, you, we want you to see these people. We want to keep them healthy. And if they don't have a doctor, if you see them, we will compensate you for it. And so that didn't, that's not happening now. And, and people get all wrapped up in the idea, we're expanding Medicaid. It's going to cost too much. We were taking the money seven, eight years ago. It's the same money. It's all this thing is that instead of having uh, catastrophic coverage on care, we, we want you to do preventive care. Get coverage, go to your doctor, and get that done. So what do we do? Why don't we just take the $1 billion a year that they're giving us to provide coverage for working people. And I'm glad you brought up some, Gerard. A lot of people don't. They talk about rural hospitals. If you go to the hospital in Baptist, I had relatives go to Baptist or St. Dominic, and you wonder why is it now that a nurse only comes by five or six, every five or six hours as opposed to every hour? Because these hospitals, these great hospitals that we have, and they are great. Instead of eight nurses a floor, they got two nurses a floor. Instead of uh, five doctors, they got one. Because these people, the hospitals don't have the money they were getting from that coverage that we had that we were taking. They don't have that money anymore. So we we, we just need to settle down. We ninety, you know, our Medicaid budget is six billion dollars. This is the biggest our state budget. People, oh my goodness, that's too much. Well, ninety percent of that is federal funds because we want people to be healthy. And so it's, we're not. We won't be doing anything different. We'll just be taking care of those hospitals and those working people. Not. These people work. The people who don't work already got covered. But these are working people. 
If we did that, it wouldn't cost us anything. The state economists say it would create 10,000 new jobs. It would be it would create uh, health care infrastructure that we need in all these places. It would be an economic boom for the state, well, boom in the long term, but at least a balance in, 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 in economic growth uh, in health care uh, in the short term. So that's all we need to do. That's, that's the first thing we need to do, and stop bleeding our hospitals. That that we that the Hill Burton Act back in 1968, the the, uh, the United States said we had to have because they said even rural people who are not very rich or don't have a lot of money, even they deserve to have a hospital, an emergency room in that county. So I appreciate that, Robert. Uh, and so that you've made I think what is the the standard case that we hear from proponents of Medicaid expansion. Uh, and on the surface, your your arguments certainly are compelling. What is the reason you believe, sir, that opponents uh, don't let this bill get through? We will had what fifteen bills this year, all all of which politics. were defeated. It's just politics. Let me tell you something, Gerard. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm embarrassed to say that, but now I'm not anymore. I've been I've been in the legislature thirty years, and there were Republicans and Democrats here when I got here. And you know what? It didn't matter. But, you know, people were conservative or they were liberal, but they didn't, the label didn't define what they would do. People, you know, you had uh, rural legislators or urban legislators who were, who were in a minority, right. but people had common interests. And they, people, we passed legislation based on that interest, not based on party. Uh, I, I continue to say what a, what a national Democrat and what a national Republican is is not what a Mississippi Democrat or a Mississippi Republican is. We don't have to, we don't have to comport to whatever uh, agenda that those different national agendas are. We need to we need to make our legislation, our politics local. We need to we need to do what's best for the people here in this state. And if we will put that aside, there's room on both sides to sit down and say, hey, I am not completely right, neither are you, and let's see what we can do. What I need in Adams County is probably the same thing you need in Newton County. But it's probably not the same thing I, they need in Madison County or Rankin County or Hines County. But let's let's see what we can you know, put our heads together and get done that way. That's what that's I, that's that's what that's how I learned how to legislate, and we don't do that anymore. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I I certainly agree with that. That I, I think that applies to what appears to be all at all levels of government, where yes. the respective sides just kind of hunker down in their corners, and there, yeah. there, there's very little alignment. On anything, and, and um, it seems like the compromise has become really a dirty word in politics. There's, there's just no willingness whatsoever or interest in compromising. Uh, I have some thoughts. We're out of time, and I know you got to go. I, I have some thoughts as well, uh, really, for both sides that I've expressed on the program with respect to their respective arguments uh, for and against Medicaid expansion. And uh, you recall you and I first met, it was 2013. We were down at Mississippi That's Public right. Television, and I was doing a split-screen debate on Medicaid expansion in, op- in opposition of it and was, and was providing some ideas of how else to address this problem. And, um, we just got to keep talking about it because the problem's not going to go away, as no. you well know. But I appreciate you coming on, sir. I know you got to get, uh, get going, and, and thanks for staying with us. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Representative Robert Johnson has been our uh, guest here on Middays. We'll take a break. Coming right back. with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi.
back in the Element Well Studios. It is middays. Super Talk Mississippi. Let's see. I'm trying to find the. Uh, we got a question. Wants to know uh, on the ceasefire text line about who voted uh, to kill the bill concerning repeal of the Certificate of Need laws. That, of course, was transferred. In this session, it was transferred to the Drug Policy Committee, which is chaired by Representative Lee Yancey. I see, I guess, uh, three bills is what I'm looking at in the history of bills that that committee took up, Rhino. I'm looking uh, at HB 1493, 1494, 1495, authored by Representative Yancey. Chris Brown and Nick Bain, respectively, all of which died in committee. You see that too, right? Yeah. So we got to figure out how we can see the the actual uh, committee vote died in committee. I think we can see that. We just got to look for it. But it's just something we hadn't dug into after we knew that it failed, honestly. Didn't dig into it, but we'll do that. Appreciate the question. Uh, The cost of my health insurance went up after Obamacare went in place. He was supposed to provide coverage for everybody, and everybody was supposed to be on it. What happened to that? Well, I will say this, folks. Having been an employer, going back to 1986, and since day one, offering group coverage to our employees. I can't remember a year when it didn't go up. I think it went up every year. What always concerned me is when my broker would call me up. (laughs) This didn't happen every year. And wanted to schedule a lunch. I knew that was to deliver the bad news. I knew it. And I was right. Every time, trying to soften the blow. Got to soften the blow with a sandwich. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So I don't remember it ever not going up. I certainly don't remember it going down. Can anybody remember that? I think the question is, why has it risen so much since then? And you could offer a gazillion since then as being the passage of Obamacare. So quite simply, the concept... I think was noble. The concept was, you remember this term, universal coverage. That was the concept. That was the goal. Everybody will have insurance. And the way that was to be achieved was you got your insurance through your employer, which is where most folks do obtain their insurance, and your employer, under the law, is required to make it affordable. It had to meet what's called an affordability test. And the test was it couldn't exceed 9.6% of your income. Where it got complicated, and frankly, what inspired me, if you could use that word, to, to even start paying attention to political affairs, was that nobody could answer the question about 9.6% of what income. And when I started 
posing those questions to our HR attorneys and others, they couldn't answer them. This is before the bill was passed, and that bothered me. And the reason I was asking that question is it's, it was based on, according to the law, or the bill at the time, the Affordable Care Act, the household income. The modified, it's called M-A-G-I, Maggie, Modified Adjusted Gross Income on your tax return. Well, if you file joint, so is that test, does that apply to me as an employer of one of the spouses filing that joint return? Both? And how does that apply to the other employer, assuming both spouses work? And nobody can answer that question. And you know, to this day, that still really hasn't been codified by, by the IRS. It's IRS code. And so what the IRS did is issue what they call a safe harbor rule. It says, well, just apply it to the individual. Well, individual coverage, joint coverage, family coverage, those are, there's a big difference between those figures. And so they came out with a safe harbor. And the other aspect was, if you don't get insurance from your employer and you're eligible, you go to Medicaid. Well, that would re require the states to expand their Medicaid. In the original bill, that was a requirement. All states are going to have to add the coverage group of, as you heard Representative Johnson say, working, the working poor, able-bodied adults who work, who have an income. And the Supreme Court, even though they struck down the individual mandate requirement, which, is, which was to be the incentive, the motivator for everybody to have insurance and achieve this laudable goal of universal coverage, Supreme Court said, no, that don't fly. But, by the way, states don't have to... I pardon, pardon me. They held up the mandate. They held up the mandate. It was Trump that, through an executive order, repealed it. But originally they held up the mandate. Remember Justice Roberts was was framed and and uh, described as a as a non-conservative and he he was a, he betrayed the people by voting to uphold the mandate. But what did get discussed that was buried in that ruling was the states didn't have to expand Medicaid to retain base Medicaid. That's why we have 11 states, such as the state of Mississippi, which didn't expand. That's exactly why. It was because of the same Supreme Court ruling that made everybody mad <laughs> where he said, yeah, this mandate is legal. And decided to Hold it as a tax. Remember, that's really just a tax. So that's that's kind of the inside baseball aspect of that very pivotal ruling. So that was to extend coverage to that group. And then you then you had um, the subsidies in the exchanges for those who don't have access to group insurance to their employer, because their employer is not compelled to offer it. They have fewer than 50 employees, and they don't qualify for Medicaid. Therefore, they go to the exchanges, and they buy coverage, and they get big premium subsidies. That, that was the idea. So it was employers have got to provide affordable coverage, Medicaid expansion, subsidies in the exchanges, individual mandate, everybody's got to buy insurance. And that's literally what they thought was going to happen. Of the 310 million people in the country at the time, virtually everyone, 
one of them would have some form of insurance. And that's why what Representative Johnson was talking about, the what's called the Disproportionate Share Payments, DISH Payments is the acronym, that was, uh, that was reduced. That was diluted a fair amount because the assumption is, well, you don't need this because you got everybody has got coverage. And so he's right in that there's a big chunk of money that's no longer available. It's available at a much lower rate than it was uh, before the act and some other adjustments to it since then. It's, it's extremely complicated, as you can see. Extremely complicated. But and I don't believe for one minute that expanding Medicaid just check the box problem solved. Not for one minute. Because when you look at healthcare institutions across this country that exist in states that did expand Medicaid, they're upside down too. They're still struggling financially. Medicaid reimburses below cost. So what you hear the arguments from opponents is, well, you're just making a bad situation worse because you would extend coverage to people that then would start using health care services, consuming those, reimbursing at Medicaid rates below cost. The folks that are in favor of it would say, well, that's better than zero. You see how crazy it gets? But then what you don't know is if they had that coverage, does that mean they're going to use more services, which makes them more upside down than just treating the people that are getting care that don't have Medicaid, because they're not, we don't have expansion. It's brutally complicated. And I don't mean to make it even more confusing. I apologize for that. I hope that explanation was somewhat understandable. But you see where, why we have this conflict, because there's really strong feelings on both sides uh, of this. And again, I don't think for one minute that Medicaid expansion addresses and solves the fundamental problem, which is costs exceed revenue. <laughs> that's the problem. How do you fix that? Well, that's a, that is a, uh, an involved discussion that requires a whole lot of people from uh, a, a lot of different um, subject matters associated with this issue. But at this point, we're taking a break, and we're coming back with a final segment in this second hour. State Senator Chris McDaniel joins us at 12.05. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi. Sitting at a tiny table in a ritzy restaurant. She was staring. Back in the Element Well Studios. Geez, I apologize for getting too weedy there about the Obamacare stuff. That's what 
really launched my interest in, in politics. And it was because I was an employer and looking for answers, and nobody could provide them. But I knew that this was going to be expensive, and I was trying to make business decisions in the, uh, what, was, uh, what is entitled the shared responsibility. Do you remember that, that term, that phrase, I guess? And, and what that was referring to is the employer's responsibility. And the very first time I ever came on this air was as a guest on the Gallo Show discussing the employer responsibility under Obamacare before it was ever passed. This is, I, I felt like you employers need to listen up, understand what's going on here. And, of course, that only applied to full-time equivalents, FTEs, and there's some and there's some ratios, or not some ratios, but some calculations in the bill, believe it or not, that that determine whether or not and if an employer does not provide so-called affordable coverage for their employees, the employee is then released to go to the exchanges and buy coverage, and the employer has to pay a penalty to cover the subsidies, not all of it, but it's a penalty that's designed to at least offset some of the cost of the subsidy they get when they buy the insurance in the exchange. I mean, that's just how convoluted the thing is. That's what's buried in that 2,000 pages that Nancy Pelosi says, we got to pass it to see what's in it. Well, that's the kind of stuff that's in it. The shared responsibility. Really incredible. Jesse and Car uh, Bart and Carth, pardon me, says his name's Jesse. Okay, we got him as Bart. No, no worries. The problem with rising insurance and health care costs in all sectors is the result of profitable middlemen who dictate all the rules of the game. How can managers of benefits make billions every year and propose to cut costs way out of control? and complicated on purpose to prevent understanding. Transparency is the primary enemy of middlemen, managed care organizations, and benefit managers. I think there's some degree of truth to that, uh, Jesse. I wonder if you've seen, though, that Santine announced quarterly loss. You see this, Rhino? $230 million. It's what Santine lost. And they're a managed care provider. Now, I'm not defending Santine whatsoever. We've had our problems with them here in the state. Um, duh, but it's it's hard to just point fingers at one place and say, oh yeah, it's the middlemen, because when you look at the total profit received by all of those involved in administration and insurance, it's fractional compared to the actual care costs. Is there some room for uh, improvement, efficiency improvement? Oh, absolutely. And cost cutting? Always. We shared yesterday. Well, I mean, with the 30,000 foot view look at Centene, it smells to high heaven of major mismanagement because it, they went from making almost $600 million in profit to losing $200 million. I agree. That's a hell of a swing. Yeah, it's $800 million bucks. There's no doubt about that. But the healthcare economy is $4.3 trillion. That's the only point I'm making. So after you get that 0.5%, 0.4%, then what? And again, I'm not defending them whatsoever, uh, but there's no doubt that there are a lot of people in this country that receive a lot of care 
and they don't pay for it, and they don't have insurance. That's just a fact. The, the bill, the Obamacare, it was designed to address that. What, did it do it? No. Was it well-conceived? No. I also caught a report, Rhino, that was very disturbing about the national health care system. And this was published in the Wall Street Journal, by the way. In the U.K., the NHS, National Health Service, which, by the way, I didn't realize was launched right after World War II. Didn't really, it was really World War II was the impetus for it. Didn't, didn't realize that until I dug into that a little bit more. Unbelievable problems they're having. Scary problems. I mean, literally, when you talk about people dying, people dying. People dying. Having a stroke, heart attack, wait five hours for an ambulance, you ain't going to make it. My concern is, is that where we're headed? Is that where we're headed in this country? Sure feels like it. If Democrats have their way, yeah. Sure feels like it. Yeah, because they've held it up as as a standard we should duplicate. You've heard that. It, it is, it's scary. Hospitals, 98% capacity. Sick patients with the flu gumming up the system. Really scary what's going on there. My fear is this is where we're headed. Coming right back. Stay with us. And now, and now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like listening. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, rocking into hour three of the program. We thank you so much for joining us. We are waiting to get connected with Senator Chris McDaniel. We expected him to be in the studios, but he is informed that he's detained due to a vote in the state Senate. And so, not sure if he can make it today or not. And there's the possibility he'll join via video in the next segment. Not sure. So our content director, Alex Payton, is in touch with his communication folks and trying to sort that out. Honestly, I think it would be a much better situation were he to be here in the Element Well Studios. I think we could have a much more engaging and meaningful, productive conversation. So might look look at uh, another day is uh, I think makes sense certainly running for such a high office I think uh, all would be served well with an informative interview and uh, I've um, I normally as as Rhino knows and our folks around here I really don't prepare for the interviews I know a lot of people ask me hey, what do you do to prepare and how long do you do you spend doing that I honestly don't I sort of hits me spontaneously when they're in the chair. 
And maybe folks notice that. I don't, I don't know, but we, we seem to get, uh, hopefully, I think the information that people would uh, want to hear from those parties we interview. I, I try to think from their perspective and th- see things through their eyes. Uh, so I've got, um, you know, there's, there's tons to talk about here in the state that I'd, I'd like to discuss with the senator, and it would be his opportunity to explain his position on those matters. This, certainly voters want to know that as well. And that's, that's really what we're thinking about here from that perspective. Matt Tupelo says, the Tupelo Hospital has 600 beds in it. Only 140 beds are being used. My son was in the hospital for two days last week, was the only kid there on the pediatric floor. Rooms that had been empty for two days still had not been cleaned. Yeah, that's, that's the situation, Matt, across the state and the country. Acute staffing shortages. Uh, I have uh, heard similar reports from large local institutions here, Rhino, from my contacts that work at a very high level in those hospitals, same deal. Entire floors, dark, no staff. So it, it goes back to that discussion and comparison of physical beds versus staffed beds. That's the, that's the term that is used uh, to communicate capacity in the medical community, in the hospital community in particular. And then there's, uh, I'm hearing reports of ORs being unused, more ORs physically operating rooms in these hospitals than there are staff to conduct the surgeries, and that requires more than just the or a surgeon. As you well know, there's a, a team involved oh, yeah. in that, anesthesiologists and prep staff and OR nurses, et cetera, et cetera. It's team effort. And there simply are not sufficient staff so that all of the ORs could be used. That's happening as well. But and is the staffing shortage due to the pandemic? Because the last time I set foot in the Tupelo Hospital was in 2019 during my mom's brief stay before she passed. And in the ICU, I could not be more complimentary of the staffing and the nurses that were there with her. It does seem like the whole dead gum thing got turned upside down through the pandemic. Reports of a lot of people just leaving the profession. I think you've heard that as well. Oh, yeah. Or if they're not leaving the profession, they're leaving a, for lack of a better term, stationary role where they stay at one hospital or one doctor's office because there has been so much money to be made as traveling nurses. Contract. Yeah, sub, a subcontractor to a firm that contracts um, talent. Yeah, no doubt about it. So just another one of those things that that uh, the pandemic turned upside down. I think certainly in retrospect, many of those decisions were probably not optimal, is the way I would put it. But there was just so much unknown. You know, you got to give a little leeway there. And the same is true in our state, because for the most part, those rules, those orders were issued at a a state and municipal level. So, gosh, you remember, Rhino, when all that was going on, seems like every day for a while we were, we were 
discussing a new order issued by the governor's office. There was press conferences constantly where orders would be issued and rescinded. And there was just a lot of unknown. And, you know, I think as a as an, uh, a governor and as a lawmaker and one in charge, mayor, etc., you'd like to think that you could entrust the scientists and the physicians and the healthcare professionals and experts, and that would guide you in, in your decision-making. So it's, it's kind of hard to lay that blame at their feet. You, you'd have uh, maybe Christy Nome, South Dakota, would say, we never did any of that. But you've also got, I think, look at the demographics and the capacity and the fact that the population's not very dense in that state. I mean, they're just, there were different approaches. Now we know a whole lot more. Not making excuses for, for anybody. I, I think uh, if you talk to many who were involved in, in making those very critical decisions, they'd probably tell you today, yeah, we, we would have done it differently, knowing what we know now. And then you had the extremely draconian restrictions in the deep blue states and and big blue cities where they just they thrive on that kind of crap. I mean they're just uh this sort of power just sends them into the euphoric stratosphere, it just seemed. Who could forget Cuomo? I mean good grief. Didn't they give him an Emmy or something for it? Books written about it. I mean he was a superstar. With this big mountain visual aid. Yeah, exactly. Now where is he? He got kicked out, didn't he? <laughs> Had a little personal problem. Him and Fredo. That's exactly right. They've both been banished. Do they still have the giant Q-tip, though? Oh, remember that? That was Fredo with Don Lamont, wasn't it? What? <laughs> <laughs> for COVID testing. Oh, that was the other thing I was going to pass on. In this town hall discussion this morning, where the folks gave Biden high marks was handling of COVID. And I, I thought about that. Like, well, what did he do exactly? I, I got to go back again, and I know, I know we've mentioned it multiple times on the program, the 45-page COVID plan that he published when he was a candidate. And we, we poured through it. And it was all these details about this big testing system we were going to have and contact tracing. Whatever happened to all that? You could have test kits sent to your home. Did that really accomplish anything? I don't think it did. I mean, the thing ran its course. The virus did. Really without a lot of impact from humans. It just did its thing, what viruses do. And there were a lot of folks early on that said, yeah, this is a virus and it's going to do what viruses do. But they, uh, they got shunned quite a bit. Uh, yeah, so now he's going to come before the nation tonight. I think he's going to boast about that. Look at how we handled COVID, because apparently that scores well for him. But from an economic perspective... He'll brag about that, and he'll talk about how he's brought down inflation. But the big thing he'll talk about is job creation, which is still below the level during the pan- or prior to the pandemic. Still haven't achieved that threshold yet. He'll brag about that. 
And he'll brag about manufacturing jobs, because to him, that's like the exclusive metric for the success of the economy, performance of the economy. Manufacturing jobs, which is a whopping 6% of the total jobs in the country. It is not the future of this economy. It's manufacturing jobs. And it's because it's mostly union. But that is rapidly changing. I mean, the days of the line worker in a factory screwing bolts on, nuts on a bolt, I should say, just that's going away. That's being automated. Future factory workers are technologists, honestly. <laughs> They're fairly proficient with technology because it's taken over that world. We're coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. We're back in the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. So we're still trying to work something out with Senator Chris McDaniel. He is apparently the, the Senate is in session and taking up a, uh, a very controversial bill at this point on the floor down at the chamber, and he is present for that. Yeah, they've spent about the last hour looking at Senate Bill 2889, which would create the uh, Mississippi Capital Region Utility Act, which would basically be the state taking over the Jackson water crisis once the feds get done doing what they're doing. The water system, yes. right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's Addressing not really much crisis. of a system when it's constantly <laughs> in crisis. It's the Jackson water crisis. And, and you notice it. Representative uh, Johnson, all due respect, seem to focus more on that and physical infrastructure than than crime, in my view. What my understanding was from Representative Bain that the primary goal of expanding the Capitol Complex Improvement District to allow the Capitol Police to have jurisdiction over that region, that section of Jackson, was in fact to address crime more than anything. Not that's not to say that clearly the water system is a problem, and as the representative Johnson said, without reliable water service, it's pretty hard to attract uh, new business startups and economic expansion. Totally agree with that, and I'm hearing more and more rumors about businesses presently in the city of Jackson leaving, exiting the city. More reports of that. That certainly doesn't help. There was a funny amendment offered on the floor of the Senate by uh, Senator Chad McMahon. Tell him about that. He offered an amendment that would make Tupelo the new capital of Mississippi that would take <laughs> effect in the next coming year or so. <laughs> Unbelievable. Gary in Meridian says, did you say that the population in certain states were dense? <laughs> yeah, a, a different... A different meaning of the word dense, I think, is what Gary... I think both apply in some instances. <laughs> yeah. SoCal is definitely dense and dense. 
I absolutely agree. Betty talks about Trump, referring to Joe Biden in his State of the Union address. He'll call him his predecessor, I suspect. That's my guess. Oh, you know that'll be the case. Don't they all, though? Don't. Let's be honest. That every, every one of them that gets in there points fingers at their predecessors. They have maybe different ways of referencing them. But it's that everybody's got to do a whataboutism. What about, what about, what about, what about? I, honestly, I get, I get weary of that. It's just long in the tooth. Don't care. Really don't care. Want to talk about the future, not the past. Lord knows we got enough of that. It ain't. I do have pity for the people that are still in the throes of Trump derangement syndrome, though. What's that? Where everything has to be filtered through Orange Man Bad. No doubt. That is a miserable life to lead. I completely agree, and the balloon scenario is no exception, right? That was... They immediately had to say, yeah, this happened during Trump, too, and then all these Trump folks come out and say, well, we didn't know anything about it. And if that's the case, and they were withholding that information, well, that's a problem. And then the next thing you'll see is a conspiracy theory that the deep state and the military were purposely withholding that information from Trump. Well, and, and including the Secretary of State at the time, who's come out and said, yeah, they never said anything to me about it. So, once again, folks, we were scheduled to have State Senator Chris McDaniel, now a candidate for Lieutenant Governor, on the program, and he's been detained because of some proceedings down at the legislature, at the Capitol, in the State Senate specifically, regarding some legislation that, uh, and it's the it's the water, it's the bill that would empower the state to take control of the city of Jackson's water system. And that's very controversial, as is the CCID expansion bill as well. Those, those are kind of two that have gotten to this point in the process on the floor. So looks like we'll probably, I would say, Rhino, reschedule the interview. More than likely, What yeah. looks probable at this point. I think it'd be good for him to come in the studio and 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 do it the way we had it scheduled. I mean, that was what was scheduled, and certainly can't help that this bill comes up on the calendar at that point. I understand that. Chris in Forest County says we were getting top to top. Well, we were getting to forty years ago. Oh, taught. told taught taught T A U G H C. I see his correction. My bad, Chris. Taught forty years ago that when the baby boomers eclipsed sixty-five, that there would be less of everyone else to take care of more of them. Yeah, Chris, we've we've actually talked about that here on the program. That's absolutely true. That we're we're propagating less. Our population is living longer. Thus, we have an older population. We're rapidly headed to a point where we'll have more people in this country alive over the age of 65 than under the age of 18. China, Japan, already suffering from this, big time. Japan in particular. Oh, yeah. For, for decades, right, it's had the one-child policy. Now they're paying people to go have children or other incentives, something to encourage their population to reproduce. Yeah. Um, Mark Cuban, owner of the Dallas Mavericks. Elon Musk. Both are, I think you'd have to say, are pretty good visionaries, pretty good at seeing out and around the corner have said, yeah, that's going to be a problem. We're not producing enough workers, and we're going to collapse under the weight of our elderly. And this is exactly what's going on in Social Security and Medicare and 
and uh, our public employees retirement system and other defined benefit programs as well, to the point where you are retired receiving benefits for a longer period than you work paying in. Well, that doesn't, obviously doesn't work mathematically. And if you go back and look at the early prognosticators for the, the problems we would find once the baby boomers aged out, a lot of them had some very pipe dream ideals of how technology would alleviate the problems and That's how right. even before automation was an idea, they believed technology would overcome any of these hurdles. And it's overcome some. But it, but it hasn't. It's not the panacea. Right. hasn't hasn't solved every problem. Mo says, if the previous administration was not informed of prior balloons, is it really a conspiracy or fact? It it remains to be seen, Mo's. I mean, it depends on not being informed. I think um, implies that somebody knew. So the question is, who did know? What level were they? And why did they not? I mean, there was reporting last night that. General Mattis, Mad Dog Maddox, was knowledgeable on the presence of Chinese balloons over U.S. airspace and did not tell Trump. Now, apparently, he's walking that back, so who leaked BS? Yeah. Or is it even BS? How do you get to the bottom of that unless you've got several people who can corroborate? You know, I was in the room when this was discussed, and, and it never made its way up the, the chain of communication, the, the prescribed protocol to report such matters, such incidents, such information. I don't know. I, I'd hesitate to make a call at this point. Just don't have enough information. CC in Senatobi says they completely lied about other balloons during Trump's time as president. Now they simply can't lie their way back out of that lie. I, yeah, all that's possible. I don't know. It, it sure, at a minimum, looks like sheer incompetence, at a minimum. Well, on the face of it, it looks like the current administration just lying their butt off, because let's, let's take a, a look back in the Wayback Machine, when it wasn't really all that way back, just a few short years ago, to where it seemed like every time you turned on the television, every time you picked up a newspaper or a magazine, it was Orange Man Bad, Oh my gosh, how long do we have to live under the reign of Trump? Trump the tyrant. Blah, 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 blah. You mean to tell me, with all the leaks coming out of the White House in the Trump administration, nobody mentioned balloons? Nope. Not a single solitary soul leaked out that Trump was being incompetent and letting China fly over, even though they said he had business dealings with China? Yeah. They'd have taken advantage of it in a heartbeat. I, I, I tend to agree with you. It, you just feel like if Adam Schiff, you know, Mr. Trump is a KGB agent, steerist, all that stuff, you know if he knew, he certainly would have made that information public and used that for political gain. I totally agree with you on that. So it 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 makes it specious at best, does it not? I think so. Uh, let's see. We got more text coming in. This is Thomas in Greenwood. Wants to talk about. He has some comments about Medicaid expansion and socialized medicine. We got several other here on the text line as well. We'll get to those when we return. We're in the Element Well Studios.
this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge. Huge. Huge news. Huge. Huge. Huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. probably heard that there was a House concurrent resolution condemning socialism and 86 Democrats in the House voted against the concurrent resolution. (laughs) Pretty much tells you, I guess, where we are in this country. It was offered by Representative Maria Elvira Salazar, a Republican from Florida down in the Miami-Dade County area, her district, the daughter of Cuban exiles, she sponsored the bill. And it uh, received a number of votes in opposition of condemning socialism. So two negatives equal a positive, right? That means they support socialism. Are we surprised, though? Not anymore. Not anymore. Oh, gosh. Uh, let's see. i got to get back to Thomas here. He says, tell Chris McDaniel to come into the studio. He knows as well as anyone that you don't actually have to be there to vote. Hmm. Sarcasm is what he says. So, so Thomas has an interesting perspective and an interesting view on this whole health care issue, and that is just let people die. I I asked him specifically that question. How long till we have full-on socialized medicine, 25 years max? We pretty much are close to that now, Thomas, honestly. Medicare and Medicaid are government-provided health care. And there's 165 million people, half the country, are on those programs. You add to that TRICARE for our military. And then you look at the, the laws at the federal and state le- level that regulate the provision of care and certainly insurance, relatively close to that. He says, socialism devalues the individual to the point where no more than assets of the state where they are no more than assets of the state, I think is what he means to say. Why spend money treating a 60-year-old with colon cancer when you can use those funds to treat a 30-year-old? But people don't realize that. They just feel morally superior by calling for health care for all provided by the government. Well, that's interesting Thomas, I was a 46-year-old with colon cancer. Should I have just died? Because that's what would have happened under your plan, the way I see it. I'm a proud colon cancer survivor and thankful as all get out that it was caught early. Early detection, the key, nobody in this country should ever die of colon cancer. Based on the way colon cancer forms and progresses and the detection mechanisms we have today. 
Nobody should ever die of it. And I'm fortunate. Mine was detected early, and I was treated for it with incredibly brutal surgery, by the way. No fun. It's a lot better now. It's laparoscopic. Back then, oh yeah, it's like a 12, 14-inch incision to go into your innards. And that was a seven-day hospital stay. Ain't no fun. But, so it's a serious question. That's, uh, that's what we're dealing with. He, um, let's see here. What, look at that, uh, so, why not discuss the reality of socialization of medical care as a, as a deterrent to Medicaid expansion? And I think that's the wrong argument, honestly. I, what I, forget Medicaid expansion. The question is, how do we as a society provide health care to people who truly need it but can't afford it? That's just the fundamental question. You call it whatever you want. That's not, a, that's not a statement in support of Medicaid expansion. It's just a, it's a declaration about reality. It's just simple as that. Because the Hippocratic Oath and just general human compa- compassion, if you're presented, and Rhino, I know you've witnessed this more than me, you're presented with somebody that's sick and you have the ability to treat them. You're, you're probably going to do it. Oh, yeah. And you're going to think about how I get paid later. It's just simple as that. I, so I mean, I, I was working in a pharmacy one time. lady came in screaming her head off that her kid couldn't breathe. And in comes, I believe it was her sister, carrying this kid who's turning blue in the face and throws him up on the counter at the pharmacy. Well, you're supposed to have a prescription for an EpiPen. you got to go to a doctor. Get a little piece of paper that says you can have it. Pharmacist wasn't worried about that. Pharmacist ran over, grabbed the EpiPen, and administered the dose. Saved the kid's life. Wasn't worried about getting paid for the EpiPen. Wasn't worried about technically breaking the rules of providing a prescription drug without a prescription. You're just saving a life. Right. Happens over and over again. I had a conversation with a friend of mine after golf this Sunday. Happens to be an OB. Um, delivery. Does a lot of delivery. And mentioned that when the fair comes into town, this is crazy, when the fair, state fair, comes into town, down to state fairgrounds, the Coliseum, et cetera, said you can pretty much count on at least one or two bursts from the employees of the fair every single year. So whoever's on call at that point, they're going to go do that. Most of them don't have insurance, don't have a way to pay. But you're going to do it. You're not going to say, I'm sorry, you and your baby got to die. And that's just one example. Now, the cultural problems that lead to this, I know it's, I believe it's Gary and the Berg talks about that all the time. He's right. I totally agree with him on that. And that's discussions we can't have. It's the dissolution of the traditional family and just lack of instilling morals and values when we're young, completely agree. You have that discussion, oh my gosh, all hell will break loose on you. That's just a fact. But it is a root cause of a lot of, of, a lot of these issues. So how, how do we address them morally, ethically, financially, 
legally? Tough. It's complicated. Thomas says, yeah, I'm discussing reality. I use colon cancer as an example of what's bad about socialized medicine. Well, I hear you. I think the difference is the nuance of Medicaid expansion versus socialized medicine. Because that's not, it, while it's insurance is provided by the government and paid for by the government, the care itself is not provided by the government. It just reimburses private sector providers and institutions who deliver the care. As you know, Rhino, in the national health system in England, everybody's an employee of the government. They don't make the money nearly what we make here, healthcare professionals, across mm. the board, not even close. So, 75 grand for some top notch surgeon in the UK is a million dollar job here. Honestly, it's 500 grand to a million dollar job here. Now, you can sit here and argue that, well, that's too much. Okay, well, that's socialized medicine. That says the government's got to step in and and just make sure these people, they've got to cut their pay and regulate it. Well, that's socialized medicine. That's when you end up with mediocrity. That's what's happening in, in Great Britain. It's exactly what's happening. That's why it takes six weeks to get an x-ray for a broken arm. Because nobody wants to go do that job for what they make working for the government. Duh. So they schedule as many as they feel like for the day, and when they're done, they're done. And then the next day, I guess theirs done. It's unbelievable. So, Thomas says, Medicaid expansion is a step towards socialism. Well, I mean, it just depends on <clears throat> how you define socialism. It's, it's, a, it's a welfare program. Let's just be honest. It's a welfare program. Is it central planning of health care delivery and the allocation of health care resources? Kind of, sort of. I, I would be willing to just say it's absolutely socialism if the providers of the service were being paid and and were employed, paid by and employed by the government. That that's where I would say, yep, that's absolutely socialized medicine. And some government bureaucrat was determining who would provide what care to whom, when and where. It's not quite to that level. But that would also bring up the point then, Thomas, which I'm sure you would agree, that Medicare is socialized medicine. I challenge you to tell the 75 million people in this country that are on Medicare that their Medicare's got to go away because we want to banish socialized medicine. Uh, in general, people on Medicare love it. It's relatively low cost to their private coverage. You have a hard time finding a provider or a hospital that doesn't accept Medicare. Not the same with Medicaid. That's a whole different story there. But Medicare? Yeah, that's fairly pervasive. Mm. We got the final segment when we come back. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Keith and Baden on the ceasefire text line says, 
You tell Thomas I'm just 62 and I'm not ready to die. <laughs> not laughing at that. I'm not either. We'll remember that when Thomas turns 60. Another text. Ask Thomas if he's in favor of euthanasia, Johnny in West Point. Gary in Meridian says, socialized medicine, look at the VA as an example of socialized medicine in the U.S. No thanks. And, and Rhino believe many of those healthcare professionals, they're employees of the government, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Darren in Jackson says, my grandfather used to tell me that when he was a kid in New Albany, one of the poorest men in town was the town doctor. Probably because he was a charitable person that provided a lot of his services knowing he wasn't going to get paid. Yeah, he was getting paid in bushels of this and bushels of that instead yeah. of greenbacks. Yeah. So my buddy that that uh, delivered a baby to one of the carnival workers last year, the father, another carnival worker, and asked if he could, he knew they couldn't pay, can you go get me a stuffed animal for my grandchild? Never came back. There are, Bradford and Blue Springs says, there are other options for people to make sure they are taking care of something. Look into Christian health care ministries. This is what I use. You can't force people to be responsible as long as they take care of them, but they don't have any reason to. I looked at it, uh, Bradford. I am familiar with that. I just got to point out, and I'm not saying it's a bad program. I think it actually is a fairly good program. We're talking about people whose income is $13,000 a year. $13,000, $15,000 a year. They can't afford a dollar, honestly. I mean, they, they start having to make tough decisions. They get hit with some sort of catastrophic situation, and even if in, they're in the low-cost program that, that Christian Healthcare Ministries offers, which is $90 per, they call it, unit per month, so per individual per month, if it's just them by themselves, and they would have an annual personal responsibility of $5,000, that's more than a third of their pay. Uh, and, and then they still run into other things that they don't cover, such as maternity bills. Okay, so you can't get pregnant, have a child, testing and treatment outside of a hospital, and urgent care facilities. Now, so that, that's the issue. That folks are going to get sick, they're going to matriculate somewhere to get cured, get treated, and it just costs money. And that's, that's the fundamental problem. I, I've actually thought that maybe instead of Medicaid and Medicare and the Obamacare subsidies, which are the three main uses of federal money towards health care, you know, that amounts to about $9,000 per head, per soul, in this country. Just send everybody $9,000 to go... By insurance, private insurance. Private insurers would love it, of course. Maybe that's an alternative. That's actually in John Goodman's book. I've got three uh, his three books on health care, health care policy. John C. Goodman, Dr. John C. Goodman, by the way, a, a health care policy economist expert, not a, not a medical doctor, Ph.D., Biden will talk about President Harris, says Mike from Grand Bay. She was, Rhino and I were talking about this off the air. The New York Times just published a scathing piece on her. Can't find her identity. 
What did you say about her staff? Oh, yeah, they, uh, the reporter reached out to her staff to see if there would be anybody in her inner circle that would give a, a positive comment about Kamala and her service as vice president. And there were few of those that would, even, that would do that, and then in private they went on to uh, say they've lost faith in her. I don't doubt it. I mean, she doesn't exactly incite and, and uh, engender faith in her whatsoever. Yeah, on the ceasefire text line, one answer may be inventing a new system for those who are not yet on Medicaid or Medicare. Not yet on Medicaid. So Medicare, you've got to be, in general, 65. Medicaid, that's based on whether or not you fit into any of the various coverage groups, and, and then there's an income test. So it's not like waiting to a point to get on Medicaid. So I'm not really sure what is meant by that. I'm 56 and self-employed and can't afford health insurance. Yeah, hear that a lot. So you would be one of the 25, 30 million in this country without coverage. By the way, Mississippi is in the top five in terms of uh, percent of our population uninsured, uninsured. It sits at about 11 percent. Texas, no surprise, has the highest. Florida, Oklahoma. Uh, it's either New Mexico or West Virginia next, and we're neck and neck. I mean, they're all fairly grouped together, but those are all uh, the states with the, the highest number of uninsured population. Healthcare costs would immediately increase by $9,000, says Thomas and Greenwood, if we sent everybody money to buy insurance. Nah, I don't think so. That wouldn't be the case. Well, we're out of time here today, and we thank you so much for joining us. We'll get uh, Senator Chris McDaniel rescheduled. We'll let you know about that. We thank you for being with us on Middays. Back with you tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.